Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, I do I do think at some level, uh, this does seem like a boxing match, right? These and that's why I I titled these episodes round one, round two, round three. What are we on? Round five. Like it, it's it, they just keep going round and round. Now I don't. I'm not. <laughs> as is true in the epic narrative, I, at one time I thought I would do an episode on each plague, <clears throat> but for me, really the story is the personal journey of Moses trying to understand his role as a leader and the plan of God and all of all that is going on and the role of Pharaoh and trying to understand his, his role in all of this. I'm sure he thought he know, knew what his role was to begin with, but deep within Pharaoh is his true identity, what he was called of God to do. And God understood the greatness that was in Pharaoh. He, he understood the role of leadership that Pharaoh would have and the influence he would have on the nations around him. And God wants that purpose to come out of Pharaoh. And I believe God is calling Pharaoh out. He's calling the gold in Pharaoh out. And one of the ways that he's inviting Pharaoh to do that is, is with the interactions he has with Moses. There's many times that you will find yourself drawn into circumstances in, in face-to-face conversations or even in group situations where you think, what am I doing here? And I guarantee you what you're doing there is you are bringing your true identity and your, and your destiny to that circumstance because God wants to invite people to him. God wants people to see the, the him that you bring. And you don't, it doesn't mean that Please don't turn that into some sort of spiritual dictatorship in your own life. Like, oh, I have to go, I have to do it because God is depending on me. No, no, no. It's a, it's an opportunity. It's an incredibly joy-filled, hope-filled, optimistically charged opportunity that wherever you are, you get that. I'm currently working uh, part-time in this little town that we live that we're in uh, for a little while here in Texas. I'm working part-time at a at a uh, at a liquor store. Not a job I thought I would ever have in my life. Not that I was opposed to it. I'm really not. I just never thought I would I would work part-time for an hourly wage. You know, less than ten dollars. Uh, to to sling boxes and 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 or stack boxes boxes and sling bottles on the floor, and that's what I do, just constantly, right? Uh, people taking bottles, I put I put new bottles back on the shelf, you know, for six or eight hours, and and deliveries come, and you know they stack them right in the middle of the store. Find a place for these, Bob, and that's what I do. Like it's it's not. It's not hard work, but I don't look at it as work. It's an opportunity to be with people I would probably never have met. Not because I, I, I'm in any way prejudiced. I just don't walk in those circles, never have. But here I am. And man, is it fun. It's fun because I know why I'm there. I'm there because God has 
given me an opportunity to bring his kingdom to wherever I am, and this is where I am. I don't think God manipulated the circumstances and made me go there and and closed down all the restaurants that I applied at and fully, you know, fully staffed all the convenience stores I applied at and fully staffed. Like the only place I'm going to let Bob work is the liquor store because I want, no, but his goodness is there because I'm there, which means things are going to be different. Things are going to, things are going to change. People's lives are going to be impacted because I'm there. That's not a prideful thing. It's just a, it's just, it's just the way the kingdom works. And I'm excited to be a part of the kingdom. It's really fun. Now, I don't know where I'll be working when you hear this recording because I I know I'm not going to be in Texas. I don't, at least not at that job. I don't think it's a career for me. I think I'll probably be gone in a few months. But but the opportunity is there and it is it is really fun. And I just want, I think Moses is starting to understand that as, as well because I, I don't think we get the, the full sentence by sentence um, a record of the interactions between Moses and Pharaoh. I think Pharaoh, uh, maybe after the first couple rounds, I think Pharaoh is starting to understand that Moses understands what he's going through. I think Moses is more than just, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. We need to go worship, or I will send lice, or I will I will send frogs, or I will, like, it. I don't think he's, I don't think that's the heart of God to be presented that way. So I don't think Moses is presenting God that way. I think in his, in whatever way he can, Moses is trying to tell Pharaoh, I know how tough this is for you. Trust me, it's tough for me to even stand before you. I can, you, you hear me stutter. You know that I've been, I know your education. I know what it's like to be trained to be Pharaoh. I, I understand the pressure that you're under, Pharaoh, and I'm still asking because, because I trust God's plan. He really is good. He really wants to do good things for Egypt as well as his people. Let us go. And I think every time he lied to Moses, and I think that's why Moses even said to Pharaoh back in the uh, the last episode where he said, please don't lie to me again. Don't lie. I think it was, I think to me, that's an indication that Moses was pleading with Pharaoh, like, hey, don't make this worse for yourself. Listen, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm just doing what God asked me to do. I'm following his plan on this. And I believe Moses had a choice every time God spoke to him. Moses had a choice. Do I go through with this or not? But Moses is gaining in his confidence and he's gaining in in the goodness of God. He's gaining confidence and trust in God. And he's like, all right, if God asked me to do it, I'm going to do it. Because in doing it, good things are going to happen. God is God has got a bigger plan going on here. It's not just me and the Israelites. It involves Egypt and the Egyptians, and it involves Pharaoh and all of his people. And I always thought that somehow both nations would be blessed. Of course, Moses thought it would be him as a leader of both nations, but that didn't happen, and that's okay. And then I also think it's important for, not important, but for me, my approach here from the epic narrative is not just to rehearse all the details as gory as they might be of all these various plagues, the plagues, the plagues on Egypt. I wanted to take a few minutes uh, here 
<laughs> Moses, Moses, sorry, Bob is laughing at me. He's like, just a few minutes because we're trying to do an entire chapter today. We are going to try and do a whole chapter today, yes. And we're going to try and get through chapter nine. There. Everybody can read it. There. Fine. Everybody's through it. <laughs> no, we can. We, I'm going to try and get through it. But again, I, I guess in my own way, I'm trying to say I'm not going to break down the minutiae of every plague because I people have done that already. You can buy books on it. Just read all the details. For me, it's again, it's about the heart issues that are going on here. What are the people... What are the Hebrews going through? What is what is what you know? What is their position there in the land of Goshen? As they look at uh, you know at at the last round that happened with all the bugs that came and and it says that there was ruins ruinous spoiling that was going on in in the in the uh, nation. They saw serious serious. Uh, um, results from all the flies or dung beetles that, or wild beasts, whatever, however you want to interpret it, they saw stuff and they were protected from it. So what do you, what do you know? What do you what do you feel when you are when you live your life as a slave and in an oppressed people? When you live as a victim, I think in a lot of I think for some, I'm just going to give out a bunch of little thoughts I had, and I'm not saying these are. These are not the words of God. And I'm not saying this is what everybody felt. I'm saying these are some thoughts that I thought I might feel, or thoughts I've, I have or emotions I might feel if I was in, that, in their shoes. And one would be that we deserve special treatment. That, that uh, you know, I have I, been around people who feel oppressed and think themselves to be the victim of all things here on the planet. <laughs> and, and everything they talk about is how they deserve special treatment. They deserve reparations. They deserve um, whatever. Wh- whatever. I, I literally whatever. Whether it's free food, free housing, free cars, free phones, free clothes, they they deserve they you know they deserve to be exempt from any law. They should be able to speed. They should be able to, uh, you know, traffic, um, make money in any way, including trafficking drugs. Like it doesn't. They deserve special treatment. That's I'm sure there are some Israelites slash Hebrews that are thinking that. Some are thinking, hey, God owes us this, and more. Like they were protected from the flies. Or the beetles, or the wild beasts, or whatever—they—they're also thinking, "Hey, yeah, we deserve that, and more." Like, why weren't we we protected from the lice or gnats? Why weren't we protected from the frogs? Like, why is God just paying attention to us now? And I, you know, I've I've, I've met people who are victims and and feel oppressed all the time, and and after they get special treatment. They, it's almost as though it didn't exist. It blows my mind because I've done this, right? I, I, working within the church, I have brought people uh, incredible blessings from the church, right? The church bought their car. The church bought their bed. The church bought them groceries. And I would get the opportunity to deliver these things, to be part of the delivery of these things. And in every case, they were very grateful and thankful. And then it was like, but... You could do more, but could you also pay this bill? But I owe, you know, I owe this guy 
because I had to borrow. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. I need more. I need more. I need more. And, and we learned, I learned at least how to communicate, I think, graciously and lovingly that, you know, the church is not an endless supply of money. But, but I, do, I do know what, what most of them went through, which was, thanks so much, could I have more? And I think some received the protection of God and thought the same thing. That was really great, but could we have more? Could, could you do more? I have, a, I'm sure, in my mind anyways, I have a suspicion that, it, that some were thinking, hey, the Egyptians d- deserve to be punished. <laughs> they deserve this, right? And more. <laughs> and they, I think some were cheering it on, like, yeah, especially now that we're, they were protected. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. Get them, God, get them. Our God has finally woke like we finally woke him up. We finally got his attention. We finally cried out, you know, loud enough. And I think some would think, you know, are thinking, hey, listen, the Egyptians wouldn't be here without us. If it wasn't for Joseph, our relatives, it wasn't for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob coming down here, like they they wouldn't have the country they have. We put them in power. Joseph put them in power. This is, this is our doing. We never got the, you know, we don't get the credit we deserve. And some might have been thinking, listen, I don't care. We're still stuck here. It doesn't matter. The the Egyptians are never going to let us go. They need us for everything. Do you really think they're going to let us go? You really think a few flies and some frogs, you know, are they're not going to let us go. The Pharaoh keeps changing his mind. Moses is a weak leader. He doesn't fear Moses. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not intimidated by Moses. He doesn't fear our God. He's he's not intimidated by Aaron. He he just doesn't care. There's like uh, there's no way we leave. We're always gonna be stuck here. We got nowhere to go. Where are we gonna go? Do you know of a country that we can go to? Does it does anyone you know you, you think you're so smart, you think the Lord's gonna save us? Really? Where? Where are we going? Oh, he's going to give us a land. He's just going to give it to us. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I, I heard that song. I've heard that song. We've been singing that song for uh, 400 years. Going to give us a land. Abraham came way before that. He sang that same song. Did he ever have a land? No, he never had a land. No, we never have land. We're stuck here. If you want a house, do you like your house? Do you like where you fit? You want to just drag them through the desert? Looking for water? No, no. Listen, we're stuck here. I don't care what happens. We're not leaving. <laughs> and then there's others who are thinking, listen, the Egyptians already hate us. Like, this isn't going to help. <laughs> we get special protection. You really think that's going to, like, set us apart? They already hate us. We don't need more attention. Please just leave us alone. Like, just leave Tell them to leave us alone. God, you leave us alone. We just want to be left alone. Please leave us alone. And I've met people like that. I I remember uh, working in West Virginia. Man, there were some people that were destitute. And you'd go and you'd find them, I mean, literally in the hollers of, of West Virginia. And you'd want to help. And they'd look at you and say, please just leave me alone. Just leave. Please leave. Go away. Now, some of them just, you know, you'd, you'd approach their living 
quarters and all you'd hear is, you know, the door open and you'd see a shotgun. You'd be like, oh, I'm thinking maybe we should stop here, see if maybe they're willing to talk. <laughs> it's crazy, but true. Some people just want to be left alone when they're victims and they're oppressed. They don't want anybody. They don't want anything. They just want to be left alone. Uh, other people are like, why can't we just go back to the good old days? Why? Why can't we just go back? I don't need, I don't want all this. I don't need frogs and fleas and I don't, I don't need any of this. I just want to go back. Just want to go back to the good old days. I remember hearing stories about what it was like when Joseph was in charge. Can we just get back there? And others are thinking, can God just please kill Pharaoh and, and his leaders? Why does he have to send a plague to everybody? Why does, you know, the whole nation of Egypt have to suffer? Why, why, why not just kill Pharaoh, right? And I mean, I know people that feel that way about just about every political leader, regardless of what race they are, what, what, quote, party they're a part of. Just kill them all, God. Just kill them all. We'll just follow you, right? Oh, man. So, so personal. They, they, everything's just like, just kill them, God. Just kill them. I think God's trying to show the Israelites as well. Like, listen, I don't, I don't kill people. I don't kill people. I know you're like, well, what about the last plague, Bob? I know. And if you know me, you probably know what direction I'm going on that. But that's okay. That's okay. We will we will see how God is portrayed. And others want to just like live, uh, you know, live in peace. They they don't want to be necessarily. It's a little different than the ones who want to be left alone. They're just like, can we just be at peace? Can we just like no more beatings? No more free labor. Like, can we just all just get along? We'll just all get along. Just leave us in peace. All of this, I think, uh, you know, is going on. I don't think I don't think a lot of them wanted to go or were even thinking of the promised land. I think a lot of them had kind of lost that dream. Um, or they had repurposed the dream to think that maybe God was going to give them the land of Egypt. And that this was their promised land. And this is where they needed to set up shop. And and that's why they were, you know, begging God to come in and free them. They were begging God to, to in essence, give them control of the land. I think they were, a lot of them were just hoping for better work conditions, better living conditions. They wanted to be able to accumulate things for themselves. I don't think they were necessarily focused on building their nation. I mean, they, they definitely had had a religious focus of not intermarrying with other with the other nations, of not um, worshiping other gods. I'm not saying none of them worshipped an idol, although I know some would say that. I think that some might have dabbled in the darkness once in a while, just because I think they were still human. Uh, but I don't necessarily think they were looking at building a new nation. I... I I don't even know if they, uh, as a as a corporate world nation power, whatever you want to call it, looked at Abraham's promise as anything other than God getting back at Egypt uh, for tricking them, for taking away their freedoms, for uh, not 
honoring the heritage of Joseph and what he had done for the nation of Egypt, for not remembering Joseph as the, uh, as the verse goes, that the Pharaoh rose and did not remember Joseph. It wasn't that they didn't know him. They knew who he was, right? They just didn't honor his policies. They didn't honor his, his, uh, his people once he was dead. So it's, uh, you know, I just, uh, there's a lot going on here not just for Egypt, but for the Hebrews. And that's true, right? That's true. When God works, he's working on everybody. When God works, he's, it's not just one-dimensional. I mean, you, you can talk to people that do even like inner healing or prayer, prayer service, services, no, prayer counseling, that sort of thing. And when you're a counselor, like so many times you're there and God's doing work on you while he's working on other people. And, and if you're not paying attention, you miss the opportunity to grow. You, you miss the opportunity. You miss uh, some of the goodness of God that's available because you're just you're distracted by your own inner thoughts or your own issues or your own hurts. And I have no doubt that there's a lot of hurt that's going on emotionally and physically and mentally in those that have been oppressed for over, well, I don't want to say 400 years. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. But at least since Joseph's death, as they've, in the hundreds of years since then, they've given up a lot and, and they've got a long way to go. This is not a simple task of just walking out of Egypt and everything's going to be fine. I, I don't even know if half of them wanted to go at this point. And I bring all that in because I think it's important for you as a listener to, to, you know, again, to, why do I keep saying again, Bob? Can you stop saying again? I mean, again. I do, I oh, I say again because I'm repeating the same thing over and over again, just in different ways. Yes, you're right. I just want you to use your imagination. And I want to bring in the dynamics of all the people that are involved in these events, not just Pharaoh, not just Moses, but their dynamic is pretty fascinating. Because I do think Moses was trying to communicate with Pharaoh in his own way, I, I understand, and I'm still asking, because I really believe you need to make a better choice, because you're just making things worse for you and for this nation. And I think that was, that was something that Pharaoh appreciated, but also found very hard to agree with, because at some level, he was telling Moses, you're right, you, know, you see into me, <laughs> and and uh, and I appreciate you, and and whatever. Like he couldn't, he was so bound up, and the revealing of the idols will continue, and the special treatment of the of those that live in the land of Goshen will continue, and Pharaoh will be humbled over and over again, and then he'll find enough pride to stand back up and and renege on the permission that he gave. You know, again, again, you're going to say that word, aren't you? Yes, I was. But let's remember, there you go, a different word. But let's remember, we do the same thing many times, right? We have an encounter with God. We have an opportunity to move into a greater highway of light and love and joy. And, and we say, yes, Lord, yes. 
I'm going to follow your goodness. I see it. I appreciate it. I'm going to turn my back on these negative circumstances and I'm going to go all in for you. And the negative circumstances dissipate because, again, God's goodness is always available. And we soak in God's goodness and we're like, but I was having an awfully good time. I'm going to go back. People do that all the time. Now, do I think they lose their salvation? No. That's a discussion for another day, but that's an emphatic no on my part. Was Pharaoh alone in all of this, or did his friends encourage him? You know, when you're friends with a really arrogant, prideful, confident, cocky um, person, I'm thinking more specifically in the area of like, I'm thinking of athletes I've been around. Like sometimes it's just really good to be their friend and keep pumping them up because not being their friend is really painful. (laughs) Now, I wasn't a great athlete, but I was incredibly cocky. And my... My pride, oh, my pride was in my ability to, well, I would, at the time, I would say my ability to be funny at your expense. I could cause laughter at your expense faster than anyone you probably could know. I I, I practiced it. I really did. The art of, I used to, uh, we called it back in the day, we called it cutting people down. Uh, then for a while it was called dissing one another. Uh, what a diss. <laughs> Such a great word. Diss. He really dissed him. Uh, and now I don't know what it is, but, but I was really good at it. I practiced at it. Um, people, people I think were my friends cause they were afraid not to be. And I, and I, I, I look back and I understand that. I do. I understand it. Uh, I would have been afraid not to be my friend because, man, I don't know uh, why, but I got, I, I use it as a protective thing, right? Internally, I really felt stupid most of my life, and I still battle with that. I've mentioned that before. It gets triggered sometimes by the most simplest thing, even a nonverbal thing, you know, from someone that I love. Uh, you know, sometimes my wife will do it. She, I know she doesn't mean to, she'll do it. I just suddenly feel like I'm an idiot. God, Bob, you're an idiot. So I protected myself through this vibrato, bravado, bravado of language and the ability to cut people down. I also had, you know, uh, I could actually just be funny. And so that would bring people's guards down and they would share things with me. And I literally pictured it as a file cabinet in my brain, and I would file away information. I literally would listen to people with an ear toward information that I could use to make fun of them later should I need it. No lie. And, I, and when I would listen to other people talk to each other about, you know, whatever, whatever and whoever, I listened for that kind of information, and I would use it. Whether it was in the moment or some other moment, I would use the information to make everyone laugh except, of course, the person who I was making fun of. And then they, if they did laugh, it was usually only because they didn't want to seem like they were hurt because everyone else thought it was funny. But I knew I'd hurt them. And I did it on purpose. It was, uh, I was a, I was a nasty bugger, really. So when I see Pharaoh and I hear him, 
in my mind's eye or see him in my mind's eye and I hear him in my head. I see if somebody who's trapped by it. I felt trapped by that. And I got called out by by uh, somebody who I thought was really pretty. Uh, she was a senior in high school. I was a sophomore at the time. She wrote me a note, and I thought, of course she did, because I'm awesome, and she wants to be my friend. And she writes me this, I forget how many pages, and I, I never, I've never followed up. I would love to find her. I think her last name was Franks. Sonia Franks, I think, was her name. I could be wrong. But she wrote me a letter. I remember it was either in pink or red ink. And she just said, I see what you do, basically. And what you do is hurt people. And I know you're I know you think you're funny, but you actually really just hurt people. And I remember I had ran back to my my little desk in my room. We it was a boarding school. So I had my own little room, my own little corner of the room with my desk and my you know, my books or whatever. And I sat there and unwrapped this thing, and I'm thinking this has got to be some form of I think I love you. Can you, you know, can we talk sometime? I worked with her on the in the dining room, and I was like, this is it. And I'm reading this letter, and I feel like somebody stripped all my clothes off and left me exposed in the middle middle of the soccer field. I really did. I never felt more exposed in my life. I was, but I was uh, all alone. But I also knew in that moment things had to change. Like for me, it was an encounter with the goodness of God. And he was like, I love you, Bob. And this is not a good road to go down. And looking back, he had actually tried to reach out to me so many times. And I had, much like Pharaoh, strengthened my heart. I had hardened my heart. I kept saying no to his invitations to not be so unchristlike, <laughs> ungodlike in my representation of him on this earth. It was insane. I'm telling you, it was insane. And man, my journey back from doing that took years. It took years to get that that skill that I had practiced and honed to get that out of my head. Because man, there were so many times I was challenged. And trust me, when people realized in the next year or two, when people realized that I wasn't going to get back at them that way, and I'd hurt them prior, holy cow, did they come after me. Man, was I humiliated so many times, made fun of in so many ways. Right. But unfortunately, I flipped that into feeding the lie that I was stupid. So that's why that lie keeps, that one went really deep. But enough about my personal journey. (laughs) Where are we? Bob's given up. He's just, his hands, his face is in his hands. He's just like, I have no idea. Oh, yeah. So, uh he's he's arrogant. I think I think was he alone? I don't know, but I think he felt alone. I think the economy and the public, they're all feeling the results of their of the idol's true nature. I think they're starting to realize like we're in a bad s- spin here. Things need to start changing. And and you'll see in verse 20 some of those officials of of Pharaoh, some of the ambassadors, some of the some of the merchants, some of the wealthy people that were all part of Pharaoh's court started to take heed to the warnings that Moses was bringing, and they started to behave differently. They started to have a different approach, and I think in a lot of ways they were telling Pharaoh, hey, listen, you know, we listened to Moses, and look, we were protected. Like, you can do this for the nation. Listen to what he's saying. 
But how many neighbors that didn't respond, you know, watched their neighbor who did respond and thought to themselves, well, you have betrayed the country. You have turned your back on the Pharaoh. You are a dissenting voice. You are a wealth of misinformation. You you are a false, you know, a false information. You, you took your cattle in like if we had just stood together, if we have unified under the Pharaoh, if we had just done everything he had said, we would all be fine. But because you, you're not following the will of the Pharaoh and you're doing your own thing, now we're all going to die. Like they're, they're, oh, the neighbors were turning against neighbors. People were under a lot of pressure. Recession was starting to hit. But what are you going to do, right? When the government says to you, if you just obey us and everyone is loyal to the Pharaoh, then we promise everything will be okay. But if we turn our backs, if we decide to do our own thing, if we decide to not uh, listen to, to the experts, then we could all be in danger. Don't put your neighbor in danger by listening to the warnings of Pharaoh, of Moses. Obey Pharaoh. Like there, there's a lot of poo-poo going on here, and everybody knows it. All right, on to the chapter. <laughs> Bob's like, what? It's 30 minutes into this, and now we're going to start reading scripture? Yes, we are, because we're going to do this thing. All right. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord God of the Hebrews says, let my people go that they may worship me. If you will refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on the on your livestock in the field and in your horses and your donkeys and your camels and your cattle and your sheep and your goats. The Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and the, and the livestock of Egypt so that the animal, no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. And the Lord set the time and the place and he said, tomorrow the Lord will do this to the land and the next day, the Lord did it, and all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. And Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet it, his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. First one is livestock, and it's a long list. Horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. Now, because we have read the rest of the chapter, we know that this all that there's another plague coming coming that also impacts a bunch of livestock. So most, and I'm going to agree with them just because it makes sense to me. This was probably ones that were uh, kept out of the fields, the ones that were uh, in stables, the ones that were uh, in pens, um, corrals. Not the ones that out in the open field, not the ones that like shepherds would be part of. These were livestock that would have been, you know, on the trading floor. Uh, this was a, a large source, like a, a, a economic stream for the nation. Remember, at one time, way back in Moses' day, all the livestock of all the surrounding nations had been brought to Egypt in exchange for food. At one point, Egypt literally owned all the basic livestock uh, groups and their breeding rights. And that, uh, that although it's been hundreds of years, that's never been fully transferred 
back to those other nations. And Egypt still has this huge economic resource, and they worship these animals. And anybody who doesn't treat them well will be stoned. And that was brought up the last episode when Moses said we can't sacrifice inside the border or we'll be killed. You know this. Don't play these games. So Pharaoh doesn't even flinch. This all happens in one day. All the animals in the in the stables and corrals die. Pharaoh goes into Goshen. He rides around. He completely unaffected. All the Israelites still have their their cattle, which tells me that at some at, at some basic level they were able to keep the, you know food sources around them. But I'm guessing, generally speaking, the elite weren't affected. They they realized that you know there were plenty of cows still out in the fields, and they were like, "Well, we'll be fine." So then, in chapter uh, verse eight. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become a fine dust over the whole land of Egypt. Festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So the soot from the furnace and stood, they they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and the festering boils broke out and all the people and the animals and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. So boils, this is a dramatic scene, right? Another appointment is made. Moses and Aaron show up. They stand before they have a bucket with some ashes in it, or possibly this is during a you know a cold season in Egypt, and the furnace is lit, and they walk. Either way, they get a bunch of ash, and they throw it in the air in front of Pharaoh, and boils start breaking out. So much so that like all the magicians and other people just run away. They can't stand the pain is excruciating, and and virtually the entire you know, nation starts breaking out in this plague. It's a it's a pandemic. It's a it's a pandemic. It's a it's chemical warfare. This was this was lab produced. No, I'm only kidding. Too personal. Too personal. I know. I know. Uh, you're like, why would God do this? First, let's remember He's not killing anybody. God doesn't do that. Well, He's bringing disease. No. He's bringing light. He's bringing light. And in bringing light, he's exposing what the enemy wants to do, which is bring disease. And I, you're like, Bob, you're just playing word games. That's fine. I, 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 I'm, listen, I'm not going to argue. It's fine. You think God, wa- God wants to do this to people? I understand. Have, it, have a God that does that. Uh, listen, you, you, your faith is different than mine. My faith is in a good God. I think when Moses and Aaron stand there, it's it's a word of knowledge that they're bringing from God, which is why in some cases they believe God has told them that this is going to happen, so they think God is the one who is bringing it. But I don't think God is the one who's bringing it. He's bringing the knowledge. He's not bringing the actual disease. So, verses 13 to 35, These this is a long one. This is the plague of hail. Lord says to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord God of Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. 
and this time I will send a full force of plagues against you and, and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people in the plague and could have wiped you off the face of the earth. But I've raised you up for this purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. You have set yourself up against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, by this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen in Egypt from the day that it was founded until now. Give an order to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to place a shelter to a place of shelter because a hail will fall on every person and animal that has not brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Whoa. This is this is a spectacular group of verses. This is spectacular. So this is a detailed plea, a warning to Pharaoh. The worst hailstorm you've ever seen is coming. Do I think God is orchestrating the hail? No, we've covered that previously. I'm not going to do it again, at least not here. He's like total destruction on anything that's where in the field. What does God say to Pharaoh? Tell everyone to bring their things in. Why would God tell him that if he's also bringing the hail that he wants to bring destruction on the planet from or on the nation from? Why would he bring a warning and a solution to the problem to Pharaoh if he ultimately just wanted to bring destruction to Egypt? And listen to what he says to Pharaoh. Listen to the beauty of of this word of encouragement in verses 15 through 17. Listen, by now, you all could be dead. That hasn't happened. I continue to give you warnings of what's coming because I'm a God of salvation, not manipulation. Pharaoh, you are not a pawn. I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. Pharaoh's purpose on earth. God's like, listen, this is what I'm trying to call out of you. Your purpose, your true identity from creation was to proclaim the power, God's power to all the earth. Now, so many people literally preach that God took Pharaoh from the womb, he gets born, and his only purpose was to harden Pharaoh's heart so that God could bring the plague, so that God's name could be great. That is not what God says in this verse. God's saying, your purpose was to be great so that my name would be proclaimed throughout the nations. This is why, listen, this verse is why I have that crazy idea that the whole purpose of sending the Israelites out three days into the wilderness to worship was to rescue Pharaoh and Egypt so that the two nations would come under the the governance of Yahweh. So that God's name would be proclaimed throughout the world. So that the immigrant nation that really has no power or authority in the world would be an example to the world power of Egypt. And he's like, this is why you're so awesome, Pharaoh. This is why you're such an amazing leader. You are amazing because your whole purpose in life from creation was to proclaim my greatness and goodness throughout the world. This is why. But instead, Pharaoh, you have chosen. You have ignored 
the word of the Lord and left. You have left the truth and are believing a lie. So what does he do? He tells them, listen, you keep choosing the lie and you keep re, uh, what I was receiving the results of the choices you make. You reap what you sow, Pharaoh. I've made you, I've, uh, you know, an on-ramp. I've given you the opportunity to continue to choose greatness for the very purpose of what you're... Imagine, imagine the internal struggle that, that Pharaoh has gone through. His whole life, he's been told he was great. And deep inside, he knows that he was created for greatness. And he's here in these moments, and he's like, I was created to be great. And the, the enemy has taken the lie... Or taking that opportunity, sorry, taking the identity, get this right now. He's taking the identity that God put in Pharaoh of greatness. And he's twisted it to make Pharaoh believe that in order to be great, he must defy God. The whole concept is if Pharaoh had received what God had given him and had had aligned himself with the purposes of creation, since creation, the purpose and destiny that God had for him, if he had put himself into the goodness of God, he would be massively great. But the lie, right? The enemy takes the truth and he and he poisons it. And he says, the only way you're going to be great is if you defy this God. And, and Pharaoh keeps falling for that manipulation. And honestly, most of us do as well. Most of us, most of us, hear the purpose of God, and then we do something that indicates, right, that we believe it, but then we believe, the enemy comes in with a lie. Moses knew he was created to lead these nations into greatness and, and under Yahweh's direction, but he believed he needed to make it happen, and he, he believed that lie, and, he, and he, you know, his timing was off. So many people do the same thing. They receive the purpose of the Lord and then they jump the gun and get way ahead of what God's trying to do. And God's like, that's fine. Listen, I love you, Moses. My goodness hasn't left you. And here, I believe he's saying the same thing to Pharaoh. He's like, listen, Pharaoh, I still love you. I created you for the greatness of God in, in the world. And there were officials in verse 20 who feared the word of the Lord and hurried to bring their slaves and livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. If you let God's people go, God's purpose is to exalt Pharaoh. He wants to bring freedom and generosity. He doesn't want to keep bringing these plagues. God would not have allowed, quote, made Pharaoh you know, born into this world just so he could bring plagues into the world and show everyone how great he is. That's just so sadistic. It's disgusting. And yet somehow many preachers turn this into some, some crazy form of holiness and love. So anyways, a lot of people do what they're told and a lot of people... Uh, are saved, and the and the worst hailstorm on the planet hits the hits you know, and everybody who's outside is destroyed, and all the animals that are outside are destroyed. These are 
different animals than what were destroyed in verses 1 through 7. And the lightning flashed and, and the hail fell and, and the people were like, I don't know if you've ever been in a big storm, but it, it'll rattle you emotionally. I've been in them, right? I've, I've been caught in them. I've driven through them and it will freak you out. We've, and Lori's taken, my wife has taken pictures sometimes when we've been traveling with our RV. You know, we, we take a picture of some of the crazy clouds that we've seen as the storms rolled in. It's scary. It's scary. And, and Moses summons Aaron and Moses, uh, Moses, sorry, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron. And he says, this time I've sinned. The Lord is in the, in the, in the right. And I am wrong. Pray that the Lord that I have, that, that we have had enough thunder and hail. Stop this. I'll let you go. And you don't have to stay any longer. He, there's no conditions now. He just says, I'll let you go. You never have to come back. He says, all right, when I've gone out of the city, I'll spread out my hands in prayer and the thunder will stop and there'll be no more hail. And he did that. Hmm. But he goes, I just want you to know, I, I, I know that you and your officials still don't fear the Lord. <laughs> In other words, Moses is like, listen, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do because I, I appreciate it, but I know you're not sincere. I mean, you just watched... Massive cash crops be destroyed. The, the, uh, the, uh, what was, what was out there? The barley had already headed, so it was ready for harvest. The flax was in bloom, so it, you know, it was going to be harvested soon. You watched two massive cash crops be destroyed by hail. You watched all the livestock that weren't brought inside, whether that was in caves or, or little huts or whatever. You watched all the servants and shepherds paid both paid and unpaid workers that weren't inside. You watched them all be destroyed. You've got a massive national disaster on your hands because you chose to not heed the warning and the word of knowledge and the word of encouragement the Lord brought to you. But I still don't think you're, you're getting this. And I think, again, for me, this is Moses reaching out to Pharaoh in kind of that 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 understanding mode. Listen, Pharaoh, I understand you more than you realize, or at least more than you want to admit. And I understand why you won't even want to admit it, because it, 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 you admit that you are, you are in essence human and that somebody else on this planet understands you, not just the gods. And I understand all of that, and that's why I know, even though I'm going to pray and the hail will stop, you're still, you're still not there yet. So he went out of the city, he lifted up his hands and the thunder stopped and the rain no longer poured down and the Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail had stopped and he and his officials hardened their hearts. See, now the officials are involved. And Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. How trapped is this guy? He is honestly the truest slave in the story of the lies, of the politics, of other people's expectations, of the fear of man. This guy is an incredible, in incredible bondage. And the longer these rounds of, of interaction with God go, 
the more I think he sees it. Because every time you encounter light, you get to see what's in the dark. And even though he keeps, quote, hardening his heart, strengthening his heart, choosing not to take the on-ramp onto the goodness and love of God, he still gets that opportunity to see what's there. Man, this guy is lonely. And, 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 and that's why I believe Moses at some level is offering him a human friend. And he just won't take it. He just won't take it. It's a sad place we leave. It's a sad place. But the goodness of God is here. We see it all the time. We see it all through this story. The warnings, the opportunity for the Egyptians to also protect themselves from what, from what the enemy was bringing. This is what God does. And I hope at some level you're starting to see that. If, if, if we're taking an approach to these stories that you've never taken before, I hope you're starting to see what God does as a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of warning, and an opportunity for the Egyptians to follow and come under the protection and love of God. Until that time, uh, obviously some did, some didn't. And until our time together next week, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a fabulous day. Thanks for stopping by the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Oh, man. You know, I almost forgot to do Bob Thoughts. But as the wonderful announcer, Anna, says, we've got more. Because I do have thoughts. I know we covered the kind of what I would consider the slave mentality parts of it anyways today. And I don't mean that to be disparaging. I meant it to be exposing. I want people to start to recognize the slave mentalities that they may have lived with. this, Or at least streams of slave mentalities that they may have lived with. And uh, some, you know, who actually think that that, that mentality is designed for them from God, because they're supposed to be servants of the Most High. They're, and and the, the more slave, more enslaved you get, the better, the better you are to God. Like that is the, the essence of the slave mentality. Make the master happy. Do whatever it takes. Sacrifice your, your family, your finances, your time, your, your work. Do whatever. To serve, 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 serve. And then it's like the the complete flip side of that is I've served, 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 and now God owes, owes, owes. And that's, uh, you know, that's just not the way the kingdom works. I don't know how else to put it. But we're going to deal a lot with the slave mentality in the book of Exodus because it takes a lot to get the slave mentality out of you. And we'll see how Moses has to struggle I mean, it's it's a struggle with with Pharaoh, quote, strengthening his heart and keeping people from doing, you know, a three-day worship set. But but it's worse in a much longer battle to get the slavery out of the children of Israel, the children of God. It's it just it's brutal because it goes really deep, and in so many ways, it is very self-satisfying because. A slave looks at what they've done, and they know what they've accomplished. They can look at it and say, look what I've done, look what I've done, look what I've done. And it can be satisfying and arrogant and and yet falsely humble 
because you can say, well, you know, I just do it in service to the master. It's uh, it's something we got to go after. We will go after, and we'll continue to go after. Um, so you know, continue to listen to the epic narrative. Also, uh, just I hope you're starting to get some level of compassion for um for Pharaoh. He really he he really is stuck in his own world. He cannot find a way out. He keeps strengthening his heart. We call it hardening his heart. And I know I know at least when I grew up, like he was beat over the head by that. Every message I heard. Pharaoh was just so evil. And yet we do the same thing. Some people harden, quote, strengthen their heart or harden their heart 15 minutes after an amazing service or an encounter with God. Some, because of a tragedy, they look around and think, why did I deserve this? I've done nothing but serve you. And they harden their heart toward God. Just like Pharaoh, right? A tragedy, a national tragedy, several in this particular round. Uh, and he hardened his heart. Yeah, I, I get it. I do. It's, I don't, it's not an excuse. I just get it because, because he's so much like all of us. But God is so faithful. I love those verses. Love those verses where he's like, listen, this is the purpose for which you are called. Not, I've entrapped you, manipulated you, and coerced you into doing what I want because I am the puppet master. And and I I had you raised up as Pharaoh so I could crush you. That's just not the heart of a father. It's just not. And I don't believe it's the heart of God, and I think we're going to continue to see the heart of God all the way to the end. Looking forward to you coming back next week to listen to the epic narrative. Uh, once again, if you can help us out, check out the, uh, the giving links in, in the episode description. Have yourself a great day, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.